Hello and welcome to the AA Ireland podcast, season two, episode three. And as ever, we're joined by Blake Boland. Blake, how are you this week? I'm feeling good and looking forward to getting stuck into some of the topics we've lined up today. Yeah, a busy and packed episode this week because we have been to the Road Safety Authority conference. We have been uh, looking at the potential for emissions-based parking charges in Dublin city centre. And plus, we've been driving several cars, including the Citroen C5X and Suzuki S-Cross. Are you thinking of renewing or shopping around for car insurance to get the best deal? The AA is one of Ireland's top car insurance intermediaries, and we've been providing car insurance for nearly 40 years. The AA has teamed up with the top insurers to compare quotes so you get the best level of cover to suit your needs at the right price. We also do price checks so you don't have to. To find out more, go to the AA.ie. So first things first this week, the latest figures from the SIMI, Blake, they were uh, some interesting stats in that one. They're nothing, you know, crazy to write home about, but we did do some content on it this week. And I guess the main thing and, and you know, something that obviously would be a big interest to you is the major jump in EV sales. Yeah, that rise just continues. It's astronomical and we're seeing the decline then in sales of diesel in particular as well. But Paddy, you had a good look into the numbers. You kind of studied them. What stood out for you or what are your thoughts? Yeah, EV sales are up 83% compared to last year. And that is a phenomenal number. It's a big leap. Now, obviously, the actual physical numbers themselves aren't huge for in and about this year, what, 14, 15,000 EVs this year alone, which is okay. And we can see that Volkswagen is is pretty much walking away with the EV sales charts with the ID4. They've yeah. done their homework. They yeah. did get the stocking right. But diesel sales are down by about 20% compared to last year. So that does show the direction of travel for that yeah. technology. Well, let me ask you there, Paddy, and we're just because we're on, on the topic now and we're talking about EV sales increasing. From what I'm hearing, just speaking to the suppliers, because we're going to car launches and things like that all the time, is if the supply was there, those numbers would be even bigger. Well, that's a fact. So, you know, look at this, something like the Skoda Enyaq, only selling in hundreds. If they had, you know, bottomless supply, they would be selling in thousands, two to three thousand. Yeah. Volkswagen were lucky, I think. Well, a little bit of, of good planning and good fortune as well in terms of the ID4, but they would sell, obviously sell still more if they had them. But I think there is an appetite to move across, but whether the supply is going to tidy itself up, I'm not sure as yet. But look, we're in and around the same numbers as last year. 103,424 new cars registered so far this year, to be exact. So in and around the same as last year. October was about 2% back on October last year. But in general, um, similar similar numbers last year. Toyota, though individually as a brand, are walking away with uh, the sales charts. Well, let's move on then, Paddy, because we want to just talk about parking charges. We're going to bring you in on that because there was a little announcement there in the last few days. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's been proposed. Well, certainly Dublin City Council are looking at the prospect of changing how they charge for parking in Dublin city centre. So there'll be a twofold approach to that. One is that they will charge people less if they use a dedicated app on the phone rather than actually paying by uh, you know cash in the meter. But uh, they're also looking at the potential to charge less for lower emissions vehicles. So, you know, EVs, vehicles with, with low weight and low emissions uh, would pay less. Now, there's no talk of actual physical weight of the car but you know that would be a byproduct of the weight of the car but 
It's one that we we had a look at, and it's it's one that might not be perfect. So give us an outline as to why it might not be fair. Well, and this is where we'll be talking about plug-in hybrids later on. But Paddy, we use the example of the Volkswagen Polo. So let's say a nurse who works in Hall Street Hospital and she's driving a 2011 Volkswagen Polo. Yeah, a 10-year-old car, yeah. So emissions on that are 136 grams. Now, if you take something like the Land Rover Defender, a 2.6-ton behemoth of a vehicle, but it's a plug-in hybrid, uh, it can drive on some electric miles. And as a result, that's rated at 77 grams. So by these new rules that we're looking at, the person driving the Defender could be paying less for these parking charges than the nurse in her Volkswagen Polo. Yeah, so look, is that defeating the purpose? Like, Obviously, it's good to have lower emissions, so you know we're not choking on fumes. But is it missing the point if that nurse, you know, working hard in Hollow Street and having to park because she works at 3 a.m., um, it's going to pay more than this, the person who can afford to buy the brand new PHEV or even large, potentially three-ton EV. Yeah, and you know whether it's electric or diesel, it's still a very, very large uh, box of metal that's going to do a lot of damage to a pedestrian or a cyclist or someone like that. So um, perhaps um, different approaches, you know, with the same result um, or with the same goal in mind, is that the way to go on this? I mean, we're just just thinking of of how this might go about. But if certainly if you just go on emissions based alone, we can come up with situations like that where perhaps it's not the most just. And look, does the city centre need to be car free? You know, I don't think, you know, obviously we're the Automobile Association. We, you know, it might be like turkeys voting for Christmas. But I think if there was no vehicles in the city centre, it'd be cleaner. It'd be a nicer place to walk around. It might be easier for shopping. Look, of course, vehicles have to deliver. The trucks have to bring in kegs of Guinness and, you know, stock to shops. But if the public transport system was operating beautifully and there was no option to bring your car in and people just had to do it, maybe it'd be a nicer place to be. It could be, and it's a debate that's going to go around as well. It might not necessarily be banning all cars from all places in the city. It's just select routes. You know, we mentioned College Green on a video there a few weeks ago. So select places like that where pedestrians, cyclists are more at risk than we might look at limited. So, you know, it's it's a discussion to be had. There's certainly no silver bullet here. And making this a black or white situation is probably not going to be productive. We'll find a happy medium in there somewhere. Because, we, you know, we've done surveys before on public transport. Some people don't feel safe on public transport. Some women in particular don't like taking public transport at night time so it's very easy for us to glibly say oh, okay people should just jump into public transport but people have their own reasons not to and and you know perhaps a measure that just blankly uses co2 emissions is going to hurt the people who can least afford it if you are on 200 grand a year and you're driving your large phev are you going to care if your parking's going to cost you 10%, 20% more? Probably not. Most likely not. If you've just spent six figures on a car and your parking goes from, you know, 500 up to 700 a year, it's not really going to impact you, let's be honest. A very important conference took place earlier on this week in terms of road safety. The Road Safety Authority were holding a, an annual event, but this time they were focusing really on, on speed. What was the title of the uh, event and, and uh, what were the main outcomes? Yes, it was the Road Safety Authority Annual International Conference, and it was actually international as well. So tackling speeding, 
risk factors and interventions was the the title on it um, and there was two uh, kind of two main well let's say three main sessions and then some introductions as well and the first one was understanding speeding and we heard from Sam Way the CEO of the, the RSA but also Velma Burns she's research manager it was very data driven that part of it but we absolutely need that data to make you know inform the right decisions and choices Dr Judy Fleiter was there joining virtually from Australia uh, just talking about the motivations for speed choices but she came up with uh, four key challenges and some of them were quite interesting she was saying that humans are just not that good at assessing risk really and that uh, for some people laws are not seen as necessary so that, that was quite interesting we had a second session then which is all about speed intervention and this truly was international so we had Guru Ranes and apologies if you're listening to this girl I've just probably butchered your name in terms of pronunciation but she was director of roads traffic safety in Norway some fascinating stuff there like they have a population similar to ours yet they only had 80 killed on the roads last year compared to us having a few hundred and she was just talking about how the fines are way way higher and even something like drink driving is attached to your wages and you know we did on the day of the conference see the introduction of increased fines for a number of uh, of offences, so we have seen you know a doubling of the fines for things like mobile phone use, uh, for learner drivers who aren't driving with someone accompanying them, for uh, you know for speeding, they've all doubled in the fines in a lot of cases up to about one hundred and sixty euro for the fine. So I guess the thinking behind that is a it can be done quickly. There's no legislation really required to bring in uh, change like there would be with penalty points. But, you know, it, it's it's the deterrent, which obviously, as you've mentioned there, the likes of Norway have seen as effective. Yeah, it really has. And it's been been working for them as well. And it was just to, to mention then two last things on that as well. We don't want to go through every speaker, but there was this there was a lot of talk about embracing 30 kilometer an hour speed zones. Um, and we saw some statistics on, you know, if you're hit in as a pedestrian at 30 you have a certain chance of survival if that goes up to about 60 you're almost certain to die nine out of ten will and they were saying that if you are that tenth person that has actually survived that crash you're not in a good good shape you know yeah but like look this all comes down to enforcement though you know was there you know it's all very well bringing in these measures be it increased fines be it you know picking numbers out of the sky potentially for speed limits although in this case they've sound scientific basis upon it but if it's not enforced, it doesn't matter. Was there any talk from the Guardi? Um, well, Superintendent Sean Fallon did stand up to speak and, and his message was about working with communities. And by that, he doesn't mean, um, you know, a community in a certain village. It was more about the different um, stakeholders or, or the various groups and just communicating that message that people need to, to slow down, that there's a responsibility on all of us. And he was saying that actually it's 5% of the Guardi are actually in road policing. Um, and it's going to come down to resources. I mean, he didn't say it outright, but you know that if he was thinking, you double my budget, I'll get a lot more guards there. So I think it is a good idea for us to potentially talk to the guards in the next few weeks and the Road Safety Authority just to tease out some of these. But I think it should also be mentioned that they are doing a very good job. Ireland's numbers are very good if they, if you can have a good number in terms of road deaths. But we are, um, I think, fourth in Europe and I think ninth in the world in terms of number of deaths per 100,000 inhabitants. So we actually are doing a good job and I think the Road Safety Authority and the Guardi do need to be commended for that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's give them credit where it's due. And I think it's one of those situations where if we have one death in a year, that's too much. Turning our attention to fuel prices and we've noticed... In the last AA 
Ireland fuel price survey that diesel is now almost at its record price. And we have been doing this since 1991. And the last survey, just about two weeks ago, diesel was two euro and two cents per litre on average. The record that we've noted was two euro and five cents. And judging by prices that we're seeing around the country, it's probably there already. I think we are well past two euro and five cents. This is obviously going to affect people a lot. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, you think back when you hear a petrol price or a diesel price gone up by two or three cents, you go, oh, ouch. But we're seeing astronomical increases now where it's going up by 25, 30 percent compared to only a few months ago. And it's really going to hit people in the pockets. But as well, I just you know think back to when I first started driving and diesel was always that little bit cheaper. Um, but now we're seeing that swing. And Paddy, you've been speaking to a few people in the background about why is diesel, you know, just to round it off, about 20 cents more expensive than petrol? It seems to be down to countries backing away from Russian oil and, and certainly in Europe lots of countries including ourselves have really stepped away from going anywhere near that fuel and, we, and none of us will have a choice come the end of the year because there will effectively be a ban some of the refineries as well are you know there's fewer refineries they're making more profits uh, and the result is that diesel is now significantly more expensive than petrol. It seems that Europe is pretty much awash with petrol. That is keeping the price down, but diesel is becoming a little bit, not scarce, but it's a, it, there's a finite number of people making the product uh, after it comes in as crude oil. So it's not good news. Like, it's not good news for the average motors, but it's also not very good news for hauliers and also for coach operators as well who are really feeling the pinch. And Paddy, from speaking to these people, have you good news for us? Are prices due to come back down? Difficult to say, but it doesn't look like it. You know, if you think through this logically, if there is a full outright ban on Russian oil, which is coming imminently, that will probably drive the price of diesel in particular up even further. And I spoke to a coach operator yesterday who said that if diesel ever got to, say, three euros per litre, they'd pull the shutters down. They couldn't operate anymore. So I know we're a long way from that price, but this time last year, if we were talking about fuel prices, if we were talking about two euro and five cents, that would have seemed like science fiction. And so three euro might not be beyond the realms of possibility. Just crazy. And, and the alter, you know, the alternative choices, like what, what else is out there? And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people encouraging uh, battery electric vehicle trucks, but also hydrogen uh, possibly switching to, to rail instead for moving freight around. But you don't put these solutions into effect tomorrow. These take a long time and the prices are going up a lot faster than we could catch up with the alternatives. And like it or not, diesel runs the nation. It's in our public transport. It's it's you know it's 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 everywhere. It's bringing your milk to the supermarket. It's it's just everywhere. And unfortunately, the increased costs are going to be passed on to somewhere 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 along the line. I think time to uh, move on now, Paddy. So yeah. let's talk cars. We, you know we've been we've been looking at a lot of cars this week. Firstly, you went to Polestar, and. Polestar are, for anyone who doesn't know, are sort of an offshoot, distant cousin of Volvo. They are, they were originally Volvo's performance car brand. Now they're their dedicated EV, so performance EV brand, if you like. Yeah. And they opened their first Polestar space this week. What is a Polestar space, Blake? Yeah, well, we, we went along to find out. And only last night, actually, Paddy, I made the video live on our YouTube channel, which goes through the Polestar space in detail and I've got an interview there with the market lead from Ireland the head of 
Post our UK and Ireland as well. I got a few words with him. So if people want a bit more detail on it, go into that. But anyway, what we're used to here um, in Ireland is the, the dealership. So you walk in, you ask about the car, they try to sell you a few options. You might haggle over the price and they say, right, you can have one tomorrow or next week or next month or at the, in the case of the moment, next year. Um, but this is quite different. So Polestar Space, the car is in there. They have a couple of screens where you can configure car. But the key difference is that the staff are not on commission. They don't have targets. They're not being pushed to sell X amount of vehicles by Christmas. They are only there to guide and inform. Now, obviously, they have an interest in you buying the car, so they're going to say good things about it. They represent the brand, but they're not on on commission. And that's a huge difference that we've seen. And we will be seeing more Polestar over the next few months because we will be spending a little bit more time in the Polestar 2. And of course, recently I had a look at the Polestar 3 and and, uh, an, an impressive if not cheap, vehicle um, well, coming, euros coming, coming our way in about a year's time. So another car that we had a look at, you were at the launch of, was the Citroen C5X. We did our range test on it, on it being a PHEV and it actually did very well. There's, uh, there's some video content online and, and an article on the blog if you want to learn more about that. But tell us about the car itself and uh, tell us your thoughts on it. Well, yeah, when I was down at the launch, they, they had all the versions there. So you can buy it in the 1.2 litre petrol engine, which is 130 horsepower. There's the 1.6 litre petrol, which has 180 horsepower. But the one then that I got to take home for the week was the FEV or the PHEV, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. And yeah, we've had that for the week. So we have, um, I'm just, just finished off editing the video that'll be up on the YouTube channel um, later on today. And do you know what? It, it was supremely comfortable, especially in electric mode. Its ability to soak up bumps was unreal. Just incredible. I think, yeah, we, we did a couple of journeys. We probably did. You were in the car with me, I'd say for 150 kilometers uh, of, of the time I had it. And for me as the driver, I, I noticed it. But you as the passenger, did you notice so that as well? So comfy. Such a nice place to spend time and... What was really impressive, of course, was its ability as a PHEV and the fact that it really did do what it claimed to do in terms of EV range. It was impressive. Oh, it really was. I mean, like it's got an 81 kilowatt motor, so that's good for just to round it off slightly 100 horsepower. So there's a little bit. Now, for a car that size, you'd want a little bit more than 100 horsepower, but it's enough to get you around and it's enough to get you up to, to full speed on the motorway. Now, for me, we, we, you know, we would do that drive from our house into the office here at the AA and it was 48 kilometers and you just about make it in. And then after that, you kind of go, oh, I enjoy that so much. It's so comfortable. It's so quiet with that suspension, with the extra padding in the seats. But you've run out of battery. And then this either with the, the 1.6 liter petrol engine kicks in and you plant your foot and it goes, rum, finds you get rum, up again, you know. And then eventually a second later, it kicks Pumps on. Around a little bit, yeah. You don't get that immediacy of the electric motor. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think like if, if they put a, you know, a full uh, electric motor and a bigger battery and that as an electric car, it would have been just the most comfortable car I've ever driven in my life. You know? But overall, it's going to hit the mark for a lot of people. And you know what? I made the point in the review, Paddy, that there's people going out there. I don't know if you agree with me on this now. Please do disagree if you feel that way. But there's a lot of people going out. They're going to buy a BMW 3 Series or an Audi A4, you know, roughly similar price brackets to this, give or take three, four, five thousand. And they should stop and think about the Citroen. Now, I'm not saying the Citroen is better, that they should buy it because that's the one to go for, but I'm saying that they should stop and think about it because uh, they have the idea of a badge in mind and this car, I think, should be in that equation. Uh, the alternatives, you know, to the usual Audi, BMW, Mercedes-Benz used to be pretty ropey and now they're much better and Citroen are a brand that are on the up and mm. I just couldn't get over the leap in quality of that car. And, you know, its presence and, and you know, for, as a place to spend time, 
Now, very, very nice. Look, the residuals might not be as strong, but you have to remember things like PCP, where you, if you acquire a car, I don't want to say purchase a car on PCP, if you acquire yeah. a car on PCP, the residual value is guaranteed at the end of your term. So the risk is with the lender rather than with you. So, you know, if you're getting a car like that Citroen on PCP, you're not worried about the residual value because the residual is guaranteed um, and it's it shouldn't be a factor in making your decision. But no, a very impressive car. Very, very impressed on where Citroen are going at the moment. Yeah, and then the last word on it is the appearance, the silhouette. It's, it's not an SUV. It has a little bit of extra height, but it's not an SUV. Is it a shooting brake? Is it an estate? And there's a little bit, you know, look, the market's definitely going SUV. There's no question about that. But there's also a little bit of a backlash in some corners against SUVs. And this one is a kind of a new segment because it doesn't fall into anything. Exactly. Nice big boot, nice plenty of space. And plus the fact that it's not an SUV and it sits a little bit lower down means the centre of gravity is lower and it handles an awful lot better. So it's not wallowy and uh, sloppy, which some SUVs can be. Now, with that active suspension as well, it's, it's adjusting it all the yeah, time. So it's so wallowy, but then you throw it into a corner and it stiffens up. Now, a car I had a, a strange relationship with last week was the Suzuki S-Cross. Now, kind of the job of a reviewer, a car reviewer, is to try and be impartial. And I'm guilty at times of bringing in my own preconceived ideas about a car or, or taking a, a dislike to something. I took an instant dislike to the S-Cross at the start of the week. I just didn't like the steering. I thought it was vague. It has a bafflingly annoying emergency collision warning system, which seemed to beep every three seconds for me. But you know what? By the end of the week, Blake, I had changed my mind in lots of ways, primarily because of the cost. This car is less than €30,000, which is not a sentence you get to say very often anymore. Yeah. Um, but a totally nice, average, very bland crossover which will fit an awful lot of people really, really well. It, it, it wasn't too big. It wasn't too showy. It had enough space, but it had tons of equipment. It had everything you could possibly think of, adaptive cruise control, climate control, equipment laden. So you have to sometimes sit back, and that's, that's really our job, is to sit back and go, okay, wouldn't be for me. Would I go out and buy one? No, but... This car will suit someone, and they will be very happy with it. Yeah, There's, I just like I, I paid my way through college, and um, probably back in the day working in wine shops. You know, people come in asking for a nice bottle, and you just say to them, like, the best wine in the world is the one that you like the most. You know, so if this Suzuki fits the bill for people, then go out and get it. Yeah, and and that's something that you you do have to bear in mind when you're buying a car. You can read all sorts of car reviewers with their pompous ideas and thinking, oh, you know, this is it doesn't have laser sharp handling. Some people don't like that. They like to just go and you know waft along without the, the car feeling like it's darting here, there, and everywhere. And that's one of those cars. So yeah, I I changed my mind on the S Cross. It's 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 a great value family car for someone who is maybe you know, retired or didn't want a car that's going to cause him too much trouble. Perfect car for that. Another one we drove was the Skoda Enyaq, the 80X. Yeah, we got to split that one be between us. You were you were off at the Polestar launch, so I was able to drive around the Enyaq for three or four days before you got back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And look, we have a video up on YouTube. There's a review up on our website as well. I've lots of previews with the Enyaq. I owned one for a year. But the 80X is a little bit different. Offers a little bit more power, 265 horsepower, 425 newton metres of torque. But the X bit refers to the fact that it's all-wheel drive. So there's another electric motor on the front axle as opposed to just the rear. What did you think of it? 
I, I thought it was fantastically comfortable. I really enjoyed my time with it. Yeah, I mean, it, ju- it just it, it made sense. I like the looks of the Enyaq. Um, my personal preference would be more for an estate now. But as far as SUVs go, I thought, yeah, it was just sharp. It's built on that MEB platform that Volkswagen have rolled out. So with the ID4 and some other cars like that. Uh, but yeah, really, really enjoyed my time with it now. A little bit of poke in it, but it, it's in with, with a lot of horsepower there. There's still some of the competition is actually just a, a little bit faster. So the, the not 100 time is 6.9 seconds, which is fast, but kind of EV seem to be rewriting the rules on how fast cars are these days. It's a lump of a car, though. I mean, and adding the extra motor adds another 210 kilograms, which is which is a lump. Got into a bit of a sort of a debate online. One of the videos that we did, and you'll see it over on our TikTok channel, is... I drove the car from Middleton and Cork to Drogheda, seeing if I could get it to do the range that was indicated to me on the dashboard. So I, it was the exact same distance from Middleton to Drogheda as was left in the range. And I demonstrated that driving in a particular way, it will do as it says it will do. Now, it did invoke some angry reactions, I suppose, or, or disbelief online where people say, oh, you shouldn't be driving on a motorway at 100 kilometres per hour. Why not, Blake? Well, this comes back to what we were speaking about earlier on with the RSA. Now, driving at 100, I think somebody accused you of being dangerous and ridiculous. Um, but trucks themselves are limited to 90. 90 yeah. And, um, you know, we're looking at driving at safe speeds here. We're not advocating that you sit in the outside lane, drive everyone bananas. No, and, absolutely and not. hog the lane. But if you drive, and this is just, it's just a fact. If you drive a, a, any car at 100 versus 120 on a motorway, you will save fuel. In the case of an EV in particular, you will save a lot of electricity. And look, if you have enough money and you want to go out and spend it on petrol or diesel or electricity, who are we to say don't? But lots of people are trying to save money at the moment. Lots of people are going, how am I going to pay for the gas bill, the electricity bill, the kids' school books? If you want to save money on driving there is a way. That's yeah. one way to do it. And you're only dropping from 120 down to 100. It's not going to make a gigantic difference in the time. And then the other one is, if you look at that stretch of journey that you did from door to door, Paddy, there was not much opportunity to, to do that 120 anyway, because there's a little bit of traffic. You're Perhaps you're on regional roads. You're merge, people are merging onto motorways. So it's really just about shaving the top end off as opposed to adding an hour onto your journey, which is not the case. And this isn't just in an EV. You know, yeah. this is just, this. you're driving your diesel Tiguan or your you know Mazda 323 from a few years ago with a petrol engine it could be the difference between you almost turning around and coming back again so it does make a difference other things don't have the boot of the car full of junk check your tyre pressures and if you're driving a manual car just be careful with your gear changes a little bit smoother but the tyre pressure one is an interesting one Colin Cunningham was here in last season from Bridgestone Tyres and he said that it really does make quite a difference. And you should check your tyre pressure every two weeks. I know it's people who've never done it. But look, we had said at the time, put a reminder in your phone for every two weeks. Check your tyre pressures. Most of the, you know, go to Circle K. It's easy to do. You put in a coin, key in the figure, which is generally written inside the, the driver's door of your car. And that will save you fuel and it'll save you money. And you get your three cent off as well through the AA. In sad news, we are saying goodbye to the humble and much-loved Ford Fiesta. It's a sign of the times, really, because people aren't buying small cars. They're not buying petrol or diesel cars, really, as much. Ford have no plans, I think, to make the Fiesta 
an EV. So they're saying goodbye to it in, in, in general. And there's, there's kind of a bit of shock and surprise about this news. There is. But then when you look into the numbers, it's not that surprising. But yeah, the Fiesta, that's not the only giant to fall. When they say giant, you know, it's a small car, of course, but it's an icon in, you know, in motor and history the last few decades. But yeah, it's not, not the only one to go. We're seeing a transformation. Will we see the golf go? Well, we were talking about this only last week in, in golf sales and how they're possibly struggling, would that be fair to say, in comparison to something like the T-Rock? I don't understand. And, you know, Disclosure, full disclosure, I am an ex-Volkswagen employee of almost 10 years. I don't know why they didn't make the ID3 a Golf. Yeah, I, I remember lots of conversations like that because there was an electric Golf. Yeah, the e-Golf. I had one for six months. A beautifully built car at a time when battery technology wasn't the cleverest, but massively over-engineered. A wonderful, wonderful car. Just didn't go very far. But... The ID3 has been disappointing. Volkswagen themselves this week said they need to improve it. They will improve it. But what of the Golf? The Golf is now very expensive at one end. It costs you seventy five thousand euro, seventy seven thousand euro for a Golf, or and the you know the diesel and petrol ones are waning. Will the Golf go the way of the Fiesta? It, it's quite possible in a few years. But you look at what they're doing with the MEB platform um, and they're making like the ID3, ID4 now. It does have its issues all right. But there's already a new platform in development. Um, and it was the software that tripped up ID3 largely that was launched too soon. I don't think anybody would argue against that. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what they do with this newer platform or with some good software updates for the ID3. So look, I'm sure it'll be a long goodbye to the Fiesta, but uh, you know, I, I think it's I think it's something that it's sad to see go. I think lots of people have memories of the Fiesta, and you know, if you do have memories of the Fiesta, if you do own a really old one, please let us know because we might just come and uh, have a drive and have a look at it. So that's enough from us here at the AA Podcast. Please do follow us and join us on the socials. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from people with any questions as well. Just drop us a line, be it on the YouTube videos or TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is. And we look forward to seeing you on the next one.